G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 AD, the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. Joining me on the line from the USA right now is Brad Stein, who's a well-known Christian comedian. He's also an actor. He's been in uh, a dozen movies. And uh, we just connected recently on LinkedIn. And I got a message saying, hey, I'd love to come to Australia. And I said, well, let's do an interview, see if we can make that happen one day. How you doing, Brad Stein? Well, I am doing great. I can't imagine where else I'd rather be than down under. You have completely different constellation than what we have, so I feel like I'm in another world when I go down there. It's like, this is wrong. Something is not right about this. This is not real. You guys are like in another dimension. So, yeah, it's always been an enjoyable uh, experience to be literally as far away from everybody I've ever known uh, in my life when I go to there. It's like going to space, literally. So, yeah, yeah you guys have amazing countries. Well, we'd love to have you come and visit it uh, sometime and uh, maybe pop into the radio station and uh, you know I've been a big fan of yours for a while and when we connected I thought I've got to interview this guy um, I, I've seen you in movies like Christmas with a capital C I also watched a movie called The Secret Handshake recently which you're in uh, there's mm-hmm. a few other films you've been in we'll talk about those shortly but let, let's hear a bit of your story where, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in Bremen Indiana but I was conceived in Germany oh so, uh, yes, uh, my father was actually uh, uh, in the Army, and uh, he went off to Germany. And uh, my mother, uh, these are, you know, young kids uh, in the Midwest of uh, of uh, uh, the U.S. back in the 50s, so it's kind of like living in, like, Uluru or something mm-hmm. it's in the middle of nowhere. So, and... Uh, uh, my mother went to visit him, and um, apparently they didn't couldn't find anything interesting to do in uh, Germany. Uh, so uh, they ended up having me, or well, you know, conceiving. <laughs> so um, I'm actually German. Yeah, so that's. Uh, why uh, I probably was fed uh, strained bratwurst when I was a baby because uh, <laughs> it seemed, seemed to be the best uh, fit for me. But um, yeah, I, I was born in an Indiana, so I don't know how familiar your uh, folks are there of uh, the states, uh, but there's 50 of them, believe it or not. And uh, one of them happens to be this place called Indiana. But uh, then we moved when I was nine to California, and I spent most of my life there. And now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, so I've been all over the place. And tell us about your faith journey. Did you come to Christ at a young age? Or? I did. Uh, I came to, to, to Christ when I was nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you come to Christ uh, that early, you know God a long time. But it makes a really boring testimony. <laughs> That's what I discovered. Because 
I longed to have a good testimony, like I would see people come up, you know, on that special Sunday night to talk about what God did. Yes, I was addicted to heroin, and the Lord freed me, and I'd be like, oh, if I was addicted to heroin, that's a great testimony. <laughs> I didn't get that. I had nothing. Uh, it's like people, I was a prostitute, and the Lord freed me. Oh, I could have done that. I didn't get anything. I was nine. I had to actually manufacture uh, my uh, testimony to sound cool. Yes, I used to have difficulty with long division, and <laughs> the Lord freed me from my mathematical shackles. So I, I had to literally make it up and, and coveted other people's testimonies, which I think is two cents, actually. So uh, I had a lot of problems. But, you know, I will say this. Growing up in the church is good. Um, you know God. You know uh, who He is, of His stories. Uh, uh, you grew up with that tradition and that DNA, um, but it did, you know, have uh, uh, an effect on me as I got older and uh, moving into adulthood, and I did have a, a prodigal uh, journey, which I come to find is not uncommon, unfortunately, with people that are sometimes raised in the church, they almost feel like, are you sure this is, <laughs> this is, this is right? I don't, didn't, never tried anything else, are you sure? And, uh, you know, it does seem to sometimes, not always, uh, lend itself to sort of almost questioning things. But I think there's a good part of that in that there comes a place where God's almost like asking you, is this real or is this just some sort of tradition uh, that you've acquired because it's what your parents, you know, taught you or, or the friends that you have in the church that you go to. And so I feel like there is a, a, a value um, to having to kind of come to that sort of personal experience outside of the influence of your family, because ultimately when we uh, face God, uh, you know, we always do it alone. It's no, nobody goes with us. Everybody will stand in front of the Creator um, and and deal with how they um, had a relationship with Him, or if they did or if they didn't. So. I think that was definitely uh, eye-opening for me, and it did help me get much deeper uh, into studying uh, uh, apologetics, philosophy, logic, things like that, because I really wanted to know if this is what I'm giving my life to, it has to be true. Mm. My truth, not a good idea, not a philosophy that works, not something that gets me through. It, it, it has to be true, immutable truth, transcendent truth. And so that's really what actually helped drive me to an even deeper faith was, uh, you know, sort of those experiences through my young adulthood. And tell us how you got into comedy. Did you, did you have a career before that or did you just start cracking jokes at school? How did you get into it? Yeah, uh, you know, well, of course, I, that wasn't my first choice. Um, uh, I actually wanted uh, to, to to get into fiberglass insulation. You know, that's an exciting field, and there's a lot of people that just simply um, are not really giving it the respect it deserves. And I really looked into that, and uh, and then also a lot of dealing with you know I like I like things that deal with with ratchets. So I wanted to look for any type of ratchet, but. Somehow that just didn't pan out for me, so I ended up um, stumbling, actually, into comedy. Um, I, I actually uh, was a magician. I was a close-up magician when I was a teenager. I learned sort of the card tricks and all this and that, and was fascinated by that. And, and it also gave me an opportunity to perform. I had a very natural gift 
to stand in front of a, an audience. I loved it. I mean, in school, when the teachers say we're going to have a an oral exam and everybody was passing out and, uh, you know, weeping and gnashing their teeth, and I'd be like, oh, when, when, how much time do I get? I can't wait. So, obviously, something, you know, about my... Uh, personality uh, just lent itself to that. My father, by the way, was in community theater, and he had uh, had a band, a small band, and so forth. So I kind of grew up around that. I had uh, family, still do. There. We're in the carnival, so I just had a pretty eclectic uh, life, and so I was drawn to acting, uh, but also uh, the magic, and the magic actually uh, came out funny. When I would do tricks, I just kind of would joke around uh, is the way I would deliver it. I wasn't like the Mr. Mysterious guy. It was more just fun and funny. And that led me to comedy clubs where I realized I could do, have more opportunities to work. So I would do comedy magic. And I began to really appreciate stand-up comedy. I saw how difficult it was, um, how intellectually uh, robust and artistically challenging it was. And it just really began to connect to me. Like, I want to see if I can go up there without any of these magic props and just have a mind, a mouth, and a mic and see if I can do this. And uh, and that really was my sort of inspiration. And that's how it sort of evolved into comedy uh, uh, full-time. Now, I was a Christian, so even when I was in the nightclubs, um, I was clean. I didn't use curse words. I didn't use gratuitous sexual references, which unfortunately is pretty much how you see comedy now. It's really just gone totally blue, it seems, as the norm. Uh, but uh, at that time, uh, I, I wasn't going to compromise those things, but I did have to strategize as to how I would compete against those who used the language and so forth. So it did teach me about uh, body language, about uh, facial expressions, about energy, about vocal dynamics. There's all of these other sort of uh, qualities that I had to pick up as a performer uh, to be able to enhance the comedy and um, make up for, you know, the, the fact that I wasn't going to be doing the F-bomb, you know, like everybody else and so forth. So I think it also made me a better writer. So clean mm. uh, comedy is much more difficult uh, to write than, than dirty. So uh, I think it made me a better writer. And you've been featured in the media in uh, so many places. I know you've been a, a, a regular live social commentator on Fox and Friends. Uh, you've been on the New York Times, LA Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, uh, most of the TV networks. You've done so much and really it all started uh when you had that uh breakout first project uh put a helmet on uh that really redefined the way christian stand-up comedy was perceived tell us a bit about that first project well i guess that's true you know um that's what i kind of people have said you know as i was kind of the i don't even know how you would frame that but maybe the the instigator or the uh the father of the modern style of Christian comedy because I was coming out of a nightclub and at the time that I was sort of look, finding out that churches in the U.S. were beginning to bring in comedy as a special evening. This is early 90s uh, when I ran across this agency that was booking, they were called Clean Comedians and they were booking Clean Comedy but they, suddenly it was in churches. Well, I, of course, I grew up in the church, so I'm like, I've never seen comedy in church. I didn't even know this was happening. This is perfect for me because I don't have to clean up my act. It's already <laughs> clean. I don't have to worry about, gee, what can I say not say because these are my people. So 
so I didn't have any qualms that I could uh, uh, perform for them. But one of the things that had always mm, driven me was I believe that the arts belong to God. He's the ultimate creator. He's the ultimate artist. He's the ultimate um, um, engineer uh, and idea maker and then made us in his image to be able to uh, sort of take that and use that in the in the human experience that we have. And so I wanted to um, be able to raise the bar, so to speak. There was only a handful of uh, Christian comics I sort of stumbled upon at that time, and they were great comics. So, you know, I don't even know if you would know them. Uh, Ken Davis was the name, uh, Shonda Pierce. Um, there was a guy named Mark Lowry. Um, um, I think my friend Jeff Allen had just started... So they were, but many of them were, had a very church style, sort of a very churchy inside, you know, Christianese type of material. And that's not what I was interested in. I just felt like, why are we always dumbing it down for Christians? I mean, why did, why did, are we so fearful of, uh, of uh, nuance? and, uh, you know, satire and sarcasm, and why are we afraid of sophisticated art? Uh, why do we feel that somehow that's going to, you know, either not be necessary, as long as I have the right heart, <laughs> or that it maybe I just didn't have the, the goods, and I just felt like Christians should have the best of everything, because we believe in the creator of all these gifts. And so... Why aren't the, the why isn't the world coming to us and saying how do you do it like that? Why aren't we why aren't we leaving the Sistine Chapel as our legacy like we used to? Mm. And so that's kind of where I was at. I was like, I want to see comedy with Christians, my own people, the way I would want to see it. Because I like sophisticated stuff. I loved Monty Python, and they were so smart, <laughs> and they were so, um, but yet they'd mix silliness into it, and they were just intelligent. And I just loved smart comedy, and and uh, uh, and, and I loved the social commentary. I loved where they were looking at issues in life and using comedy to uh, to try to build bridges uh, where there were some sort of cultural clashes. And so I really became sort of a social commentator and I, I used my Christian worldview as the as the, the, the commentary mm. and so that's really what made it kind of different and, and to this day there's really no other Christian comic that I know that does what I do uh, that takes risks that's willing to talk about issues that are um, challenging or, or uh, uh, you know maybe uh, controversial but I feel like isn't that the purpose of our faith is to approach culture and view it and comment on it. And here we are claiming to have the truth of life and the answers. And yet we fear that maybe I shouldn't bring this up in a sermon because it might be controversial. Well, maybe it's supposed to be. Maybe sin is controversial. Maybe life is controversial. Maybe truth is offensive. Well, of course it's offensive. Why do you think relativism and postmodernism has evolved into post-truth? Why has political correctness, this cultural Marxist concept of new, and it's essentially a new religion, um, fear truth? Because it's the ultimate, uh, it's the ultimate answer 
to man's debased nature, and they don't want to deal with that because that means I have to change. I have to answer to someone that I don't get to live my life as a narcissist uh, and be just all about me. And so I said, I want to talk about those things. Well, you know, to this day, Christianity oftentimes sort of is careful what material or what um, issues it will talk about as if somehow politics are off limits to Christians. And hey, if that means, uh, you know, not necessarily getting on the pulpit and saying vote for this guy or vote for this party, uh, yeah, I I can understand that because we want everybody to know Christ and there is no there is no uh, political party that Christ is a member of. He loves us all and wants us all to know him. But if a cultural issue is important, then Christians should be at the, you know, the spearhead of, of, of dealing with those issues and giving our people laughter, but also some sort of poignant uh, perspective so they can engage the culture. I know you've been focusing a bit on apologetics and, and you're, you're very outspoken yeah. about your uh, conservative Christian views as well. And I, I did see the movie Christmas with a capital C that you were featured in. Mm. And, and that's one of your routines that you, you do. You talk about Christmas versus political correctness. Just speak to that for a moment, mate. Right. Well, you know, that was, and again, I, 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 by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but I, I actually worked a season in Melbourne uh, years ago. Uh, they brought me in. I had done a, a, something in Canada, and somebody had mentioned to this woman who was running, a, a, it was called The Last Laugh in Melbourne, uh, and it was a kind of, it was a dinner theater. So they had a, a compere that would sort of be the, 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 the guy that introduced them. They had a, a team that did a, some funny, and then I came on last. And so, um, I, I spent a month there, and it was you know exciting and fun. And uh, uh, but this was many many years ago before I was even doing the Christian stuff. I was just doing my clean stuff. But um, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, what the the climate is like in in, in Australia uh, politically, or what how you deal with correctness, or what type of. Um, you know what? What is the tone of of the people there uh, when it comes in regards to this? So I know that was a fairly unchurched uh, there, mm. um, but uh, to me, what was interesting about Christmas for the Capitol was it was dealing with a cultural issue in the U.S., which was saying Merry Christmas, as, as foolish as that sounds, like how can that possibly be <laughs> offensive? <laughs> um, it was. People didn't want someone to sort of be able to say Merry Christmas as though somehow that would offend somebody that didn't believe in Christmas or didn't believe in Christianity or in Christ or what if there was a different religion. And I'm always like, are you kidding me? <laughs> if somebody said, you know, Happy Hanukkah to me, I'm not Jewish. But I would feel like they gave me a gift. They were being kind to me. Yeah. Like, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you. You know, <laughs> happy Ramadan. Thank you. Happy Christmas. Who cares? We're all sort of saying this is where I'm coming from. But that's what happens when people control truth because it's it's, it's actually controlled language. Whoever controls the language controls the people. They control the culture. So if I can begin to demonize a particular. A language word or idiom or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of a cultural, I don't know, tradition even, uh, I can begin to change how people view that and what respect or dignity is or isn't given to it. So it's really a t- an attack on Christianity because the West's uh, view of morality 
and how it saw the world and what changed the world in the West was Christianity. Mm. The East didn't have that, of course. So they have to destroy the underpinnings of our moral structure if they're going to recreate the West in their own image, which means Christianity has to die. So that's why the the words are going to be attacked, the ideas are going to be attacked. So this was a simple story of of a mayor in an Alaskan town that just wanted to uh, put up a you know Merry Christmas sign and a nativity scene next to the bank and um, somebody complained they said you know hey I don't want this on you know public property I pay taxes and this is a separation of church and state and so that was what the story was about was how do you as a Christian um, negotiate the legal rights that you've been given based on whatever country you live in and whatever the, the laws of that nation are, and your faith as far as how do you how do you stand up for your rights but also stand up for your faith in trying to be loving and kind and considerate of others. So I felt like they didn't try to make it too simple. They didn't try to tie it up in a bow. They, they they showed there was a conflict, that people were trying to understand, what does this mean? Where are we supposed to to be in this kind of a world as Christians, and, and, uh, and, and how should we behave, and what is really more important, that we get to say Merry Christmas, or that we just act like Christians, and, and, and maybe that's more important. So I feel like that was that was what I enjoyed about it, that they really didn't try to make it simple. And you're right, the comedy, uh, I was the first, actually the first person hired for the, the film because it was based off of a song, Christmas with a Capital C, that a music group, Go Fish, had done, and they had sampled some of my comedy ah. from Put a Helmet On that was about Christmas uh, about Christmas, uh, uh, and uh, uh, and not saying Merry Christmas. So right, okay. anyway, that's how it all kind of came about. So people that are familiar with my comedy, if they see that film, can see little inside jokes that I threw into it where they can kind of see, even though I was playing a character, I wasn't playing that time. Um, they hear me say a few things and do a few things that if you knew my comedy, you'd say, okay, I came from his, <laughs> I came from his routine or whatever. So that was kind of a little inside joke I threw in for my, for my fans. But I thought it was a pretty good story and it was filmed in Alaska. So it was beautiful. Scenery. Mm. And, uh, I felt that it really, uh, um, I felt that it told a pretty pretty good story. Well, it's great to hear a very talented comedian like yourself standing up for uh, conservative Christian values and speaking up uh, in your comedy. And uh, once again, if you want to see any of these movies, uh, Christmas with a capital C, uh, Sarah's Choice, a great pro-life movie. Uh, there's uh, Brad's... That was uh, with Rebecca St. James. That was with one, of, you, one of your uh, Aussie uh, sisters uh, there, Rebecca uh, St. James, who's a friend, uh, and, and her brother Joel. That's Paul right. just did a film not too, back, not too long ago. He's a friend of mine too we go to the same church oh very cool all these Aussies yeah. uh, also uh, Brad's original uh, DVD Put a Helmet On from 2003 other movies uh, like uh, I saw a really good one recently called The Secret Handshake uh, which uh, features mm-hmm. Kevin Sorbo former uh, Hercules actor yeah. uh, lots of great films yeah. and all the details are at bradstein.com and uh, mate we'd love to have you come down under and visit us one day uh, make sure you come and visit the land down under we'd love to have you one day hey well, I would love to. I've got a brand new show that deals with apologetics called The God Experience. So I always thought if there was a way to, to get down there and maybe some churches would be interested in that. I don't know if comedy is something that they even do in churches in, in Australia, but I, I'd sure love to give it a shot. I think it could be something fun. So uh, I'll leave it up to you to, to get me that boat trip. <laughs> the boat trip. All right. Mate, thank you once again. I reckon your history maker, Brad Stein. Thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. God bless you. 
Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we appreciate all of your support. The vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus all over the world. If you've got a suggestion of someone we can interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians, and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.